It's beautiful, Ollie. Thank you. Uh, Enjoy. Ah, fuck. Hey! You said frig? Now, wait a minute. I'd like to propose a toast to my family. Someday soon, you're gonna have families of your own. And if you're lucky, you'll remember the little moments like this. That were good. Cheers. Buddies, it's Steve Simone, and you're listening to Good Times. Um, it's been a pretty crazy week on my end, but we do have a great guest. Uh, it's my buddy, Mr. Court McCown. Um, Court has been a dear friend of mine for, I don't know, at least 12 years, I guess, going back to the comedy store. And he has a new CD coming out that you can pre order on iTunes called uh, Live on Pearl Street, and that's why I put Court up to the uh, front of the queue here there's a lot of i've recorded a lot of podcasts it's been a great summer hanging out with buddies and uh court needs your help to support his album so that's why we're bringing him back on the podcast and the first time he came on we talked about him growing up in oklahoma it's a really fun kind of dazed and confused vibe to it and uh this was a really fun podcast with court talking about the good times he had when he first got to hollywood um Lee and I, we're, one, we're Toronto, like in two weeks, right? I know, I can't wait. It's uh, August 14th and August 15th. On the 14th, you have a show at the Comedy Bar. Right. And then right after that, we're running to the Cafe Underground for the Live Flying G Radio. Oh, my goodness. And then the 15th, I have a 6 o'clock podcast seminar at the Comedy Bar. And then you have two shows at the Comedy Bar. Yeah, and then we're going to have to eat poutine and drink beers in between. It, I I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am to go. Like People keep sending me tweets like, well, I'm, I'm coming to see you in Toronto. I'm it's like, going to oh. be amazing. And Tim, I, the only thing I have to say about Toronto, which I'm a little bit disappointed, the Yelp users are kind of lacking in uh, Tim Hortons because oh. I, I tried to Yelp it. So I could see delicious pictures of donuts and which donuts I want to get, but there's like no Tim Hortons with Yelp reviews. Maybe Canadians are just too nice to leave angry it's, Yelp reviews. But yeah, it's gonna be great, dude. Oh my god, I just remembered there's an awesome pizza place uh, that Derek took me to. I was called like north of Brooklyn or something. It was amazing. There's really good pizza in Toronto. Oh. A lot of Italians there, dude. Really? We're gonna kill it. Yeah, I'm gonna oh, eat super wait. clean between now and then. Just to get ready for it. Yeah, because Derek's one brother works at this awesome barbecue place. And then Poutine's amazing. There's always Tim Hortons. Maybe they have ginger beef there. What's Dude, ginger in, beef? 
I just did the fat guy thing. There's a, I don't, I think it might just be in Calgary though. It's like Mongolian beef, but a thousand times better. It's for what General's chicken is to chicken, ginger beef's even better to beef. I can't believe that it's not everywhere in the world, but it also makes visiting Calgary even all the more special. How far is Calgary away from Toronto? It's, it's, <laughs> it's like LA to New York. But um, stop. so look, let's get this intro out of the way because um, there's I have to pay my respects to Roddy, who we lost this week. So this is the episode of Good Times. I want you guys to have a good time with me and my buddy Court. And if you just want to stick around and uh, afterwards, I am going to just try to put in words how much I loved my dear friend Roddy Piper. So um, this is my buddy Court. Welcome back to Good Times, Court. Hey, Stevie. You make your coffee, man. Although almond milk. I'm okay with almond milk, but I'm okay with it. Exposed my hippie side. Yeah, what was it you said to me? You said there's so many people. You feel like a hippie teacher? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I hate to sound like a hippie kindergarten teacher, but... I see it now. And it's you just, see people out there and it looks like they need a hug. They're just they're screaming for it. But you always give me a hug when you see me, so that might be a good sign. Dude, know? we all need it. Oh, I need it. I Dude, need it all the time. Yeah, we all do. And that's what I hope this podcast is for people, an audio hug. An audio hug. Yeah, I man. love that. Yeah, it, yours is kind of like an audio hug. Well, you are. You're, an, you're a hug in general. Yeah, yours you know what's weird? I wasn't like that forever. It's really weird. I've now. always kind of known you like that. I always, I've always known you as one of the, like, just the all-around nicest people I knew. That's just kind of what I always thought of you as. Like, not a That's pushover really nice, not a pushover nice person, but just like a really, really nice person. Do you know what I think, man? I think it's more helpful for the listeners if people, instead of saying I'm nice, they would go, you seem like you're really happy. Because I think being nice, I don't know if nice and happiness but it's a chicken and the egg thing do you know what i'm saying like i think when i try to be cool to other people that makes me feel good yeah but i've also known you when you were going through some tough times yeah when i was living with fucking fat james and didn't have a car and yeah i mean i i mean you were still a really nice person so (laughs) that's good so i mean i i don't know that you were happy then but you were still a really nice person. You know what? That's a great distinction. I'll you take know? the compliment. Yeah, because I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I can't imagine being happy living with Fat James. And, God rest his soul. You know, they were the best that, of the times. They that's were the so weird that he's times. gone. So sad. You know, it's really. I think about him a lot lately. I've yeah. been thinking about him a lot. It's a shame because he was, I mean, he was what he was, but I mean, he just smelled so bad. Well, poor guy. But what are you going to do? Heart of gold. Yep. There you go. You know what, man? I just I just re-listened to your original appearance on Good Times. Guys, you have to check it out. Court was legitimately the coolest dude in high school. But we didn't get into okay, first off, the reason why you're I'm this is my policy for buddies. Yeah. When they have something to promote, I'm gonna put them to the top of the queue. Because I have so many awesome podcasts that I've recorded. Oh, that's but cool. We're recording today. And this is going to get released on Sunday because you've got some good news. Yeah. On August 7th, I'm releasing my debut, my first CD. I think you just released yours, which was yep. awesome. It's a game changer. It's And, uh, and it's just that, that accumulation of all that material you've done. And you're like, I need to get rid of this material. Mm-hmm. Not that it's bad material. Right. But it was like an accumulation of a long, a long you know. It, it was like when I think when you first start doing stand-up, you have... 
about 20 minutes of awful material that you need to get rid of that you yeah. need you have about 20 minutes that you use for the first four or five years that's really i mean so, very little do you ever hold on to of that the, those first five years are you ever going to use again yeah i think you use it for you use it to kind of springboard into your own voice to what you want to do what you want to do and yeah. then i think the, then you have four or five years of really developing your first hour of really solid material yeah you know like i mean like i remember we used to do the one about this the this the out of shape stripper yes you know, did you yeah. put that on your CD? No. See, and that's like one of those things that I thought was a really funny thing, but I don't think that really vied with your voice, no. the voice that you have, but it was a really funny bit. Yeah, that bit you used to, I stopped doing that because it would kill so hard. Yeah, it was such a great bit, you know, um, so I don't, I don't know. It was just. Uh, so this is your first album and it's stuff that you, obviously it sounds like it's stuff that you want to share with. The I world. wanted to you share. Go, this yeah, isn't my yeah. first five years stuff. No, this isn't my this first is five years. Yeah, this is the voice stuff. Um, and it's called Live from Pearl Street, which I recorded at the La Jolla Comedy it's Store. It's my favorite club. Yeah. Well, these are my top three clubs. La Jolla Comedy Store. Yeah. Comedy Works, downtown Denver. Absolutely. And Yuck Yucks in Calgary. I've never done Yuck Yucks oh, Calgary. You got to get some of that, dude. But I did. I have done Denver Comedy Works. Great. It's great, right? La Jolla is amazing. La Jolla is just amazing. I want to live in San Diego. God willing, one day I could afford La Jolla or La Jolla adjacent. Yeah. yeah. But worst case scenario, I'm not getting any younger. I love it down there. I know. It's great. It's LA with a soul. It's San Diego yeah. is the greatest. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's like, um, there's just, I mean, there's so many so many great places to live and i i do think down there's one of them i just don't know if i could it just seems a little i don't know it just seems like you better be a millionaire to live down there because it's just so expensive man. what's cheaper than la is it yeah oh all right but um yeah but anyway the, the cd is live from pearl street which is where the comedy store is is on pearl street and i got this and you great... know what else is on pearl street Don Carlos, <laughs> I the love, unofficial sponsor. Yeah. Uh, I love Don time. Carlos. It's my favorite. Me too. It's the best. It's the best food, man. Yeah, and like, Ryan's so nice on top of it. He's the coolest dude. Um, he just had a baby, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, Payton. Yeah. So I, um, but I recorded it down there, and I got this great guy to record it for me. We did something really unusual. Is we we put the mics like a lot of people drop audience mics in the audience, mm -hmm. so you can hear the audience. We actually put the audience mics behind the stage oh, so you cool. actually hear you actually hear what it's kind of like to For be you? a comic oh that's so cool so you kind of hear you kind of are on stage with me of course so that's the a listeners great on stage idea. with me so it's a it's a cool cd i love it and i hope you guys get it where it's, can we buy it you can go get it on itunes or go to the all things comedy they'll have they should have a link for it or go to my website courtmccown.com awesome c o r t mccown.com the man's a pro yeah and um yeah it's up it's on pre-sale now and it, and it comes out august 7th it's great man i i'm just i'm really proud of it i'm really happy i did it i can't wait to hear it yeah it's gonna be fun it's fun then you got to get it on pandora then, yeah well we'll talk again yeah. i don't know how to get it on I, I don't know how to get my stuff on sirius but when it happens it'll be great it'll, yeah it's it's one of those things where it's just finally it took me a long time i recorded I, I recorded it two two years i mean like i recorded it one year 
and I just in it, and I was like, oh, I was excited that I recorded it. Mm -hmm. And then I listened back to it. I was like, eh, I didn't really like it. Yeah, I did that a lot. And then I did another year, and then the next year I did it. And because I would do it every February when I went, I went down to La Jolla and I went down there for the golf tournament. So I go down there for that. And then I would record the CD and it was great. But this time I did it the right way. You know, I did it. I was, I knew the material I wanted. I knew it was good. And, um, you know, recorded about an hour and a half and, and then I pulled the best hour. Very good. So it's there. Yeah. And there's just something about going, okay, this is it. Like, I go back and listen to my CD, and I still really like it. But I'm like, oh, I could have done it this way. And I went, you know what? Getting something out there is better than having something in my brain that's perfect that nobody ever hears. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I had, and I listened to it, and I actually was like, oh, I was okay with it, you know? Yeah. I was actually okay with it. Yeah, that's a huge compliment when you're uh, like, oh, I'm good with this. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't wait to hear it, man. Yeah. Guys, well, check it out. Court's debut CD. Court's debut. And, it, and I have some funny stuff on there because, like, I went on a cruise with my family. <laughs> and I really, and it's like, and it's just, it's all on there. And if awesome. you've ever been on a cruise ship, you'll understand it is an awful experience. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't think you could ever wind up being a cruise ship comedian? I could never do it, man. I was a, I was a cruise ship guest for eight days and i wanted to jump off the boat every minute that i was there it's awful have you seen bill burr's new bit on cruise ships? i haven't it's pretty funny i haven't i don't want to ruin it yeah i don't want to ruin it okay so i was going back and i listened to our first episode okay uh guys uh in the intro i'll share with you what number it was i guess it was only about six months ago or something and we talked all about oklahoma yeah and the places that you partied when you were in high school then a little bit of Stillwater, and you told that awesome radio station story when okay. you took the Quaalude and you yeah, passed yeah. out. Yeah. All good times. But what we didn't get into at all, and I don't know if this is something you want to talk about on the podcast. We could talk about whatever you want. Yeah. But it is good times. It is about reminiscing about the fun we had yesterday that helps us see the fun we're having today. Dude, we didn't get into any of your Hollywood stuff. We didn't get into working with Michael J. Fox. We didn't get into working with uh, – didn't you? Didn't you work with, wasn't it Don Rickles at one point? I did work with Don Rickles at one point. Yeah, when I did George Can't Find Me Love's one of my favorites. So any of those stories, man, you worked with Don Rickles. I didn't invent that in my brain. No, no, I, did. I worked with Don Rickles. I was, um, I'll tell you my, my, my come to Hollywood story. My come to Hollywood Very story cool. is, a great, is a great story in, in the sense that um, I was living in Stillwater. I was not having a good time and I was I was partying a little too much you know I was I was it was what it was mm-hmm. it was 1984 and I had this buddy you know what happened in 1984 you were born in 1984 no Van Halen released the, the dynamic song Panama oh there you go off the album Panama that's yeah, my favorite song <laughs> I know um they uh but 1984 I um I had a friend who lived in Hollywood who I went to school with who I was friends with but I mean we weren't like best friends but we were you know we were friends you know and um but i didn't know him like it's kind of weird looking back on it like i look back on it now and it was like somebody that you were kind of an acquaintance with and they and you're at a party in stillwater one night he's like come to hollywood and i'm like yeah i will and you know and then like two weeks later i was like on a plane the the lord works in mysterious yeah how old were you at the time i was 20 okay so that is that age where uh 
you're old enough where you're starting your friends are starting to m- make inroads into the world yeah but you're still young enough where it's like yeah guy i went to 10th grade algebra with i'm gonna come crash on your couch exactly it's, the situation it's glorious there's something yeah. i love being around college kids for that reason yeah that sense of potential yeah and confidence and, and he was working as a stand-in on a tv series and not a bad gig no it's and back then it was union Ugh. So he was making like 120 bucks a day in '84. In '84, that's good cash for me now. Yeah. Oh, that's I take that in. Yeah, a second. right. But and that's like for eight hours, so it's union money. So it's like you know, from eight to I think it was like you made that for eight hours and eight to ten, you made time and a half, and then ten to twelve, you made it was like you're making like 160, 180 dollars a day, you oh, know, at union money, and um, so he was doing really well. And he lived over on Laurel Avenue, right above the Laugh Factory, you know, right between Hollywood and um, right right below Hollywood Boulevard on Laurel Avenue. Get out of here. Yeah. But back then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that expensive. It well, was, that was uh, also like Comedian Row back then. Was Did it? you ever hear those stories? Yeah. Argus tells stories. I got to get Argus on this podcast. Argus is great. Yeah. He's the best. I yeah. love him. Uh, and we're referring to this great comic who's kind of like a mentor to everybody at the comedy store in a sense. Yeah. Very funny, Mr. Argus Hamilton. Love you, buddy. Can't wait to get you on the podcast, even though I know you're not listening. <laughs> Isn't that the best when you give shout-outs to people you know and yeah. never hear it? Um, so anyway, so he was living over there. So I ended up – I took this I took this plane ride. I was like, all right, I was, I was not doing well in school. I was mm-hmm. in college at OSU. Yeah. I wasn't doing well. I was like a radio DJ who passed out at night. And, yeah. you know, just – it was not, not good. But I was – so I came out. I said, I'm going to California. And the Summer Olympics were going on in L.A. at the time. Oh, my God. What a so great was, time to come out. Yeah. So it was the L.A. Summer Olympics. So I got on America West. And back then, like, you could get on the plane. This is way before 9-11. You could just write a check for, you know, whatever your plane ticket was. And oh I remember it being like $108 for, like, a one-way ticket to L.A. Wow. So uh, from, like, Tulsa to, to L.A. was, like, a one-way ticket. And I was partying back then, so it was like, I mean, I had, you know, I was, I was, I just went nuts. I drank and snorted and, you know, sorry kids and all kinds of stuff, Yeah, you know, on the way out. And um, my buddy picks me up at the airport, you know, my buddy Larry. <gasps> it's my favorite name. Yeah. I don't know why. I've never met a Larry or an Art. The that greatest the guy in the world. And I mean, this guy, he mo- he ended up moving back. He was from Veneta, Oklahoma. He ended up moving back years later. And now he like he's like a clown for children, Aww. which is a really great thing. You know, he's, he's like a really one of those like he goes to hospitals and does, you know, he's like a really cool guy. He went wow. to like clown college. Wow. So he's like a really great dude. But um, huh. but Larry. um. Larry welcomed me, and we came, and we we kind of party a little bit. He did. He was definitely not in the mode I was in. I was in beast mode. Is this when, your first time ever in Hollywood? Oh yeah. Or, yeah. Okay, so you're first, twenty years old. Twenty you're years essentially old. like disco Johnny Fever from WKRP in Cincinnati, <laughs> the party DJ type dude that was the coolest kid in high school. Listen to the first episode. But now you're in L.A. Yeah, obviously it's, like Johnny Depp and Blow at this point though. I mean, yeah. I was in bad shape when he when he picked me up. And we, and I was, and I drank ridiculous amounts. It was free booze on the plane. Wow. So so I drank ridiculous amounts of booze in like, you know, the three hours it took to fly here. Yeah. So he picks me up. I think we went and had a drink or something. I don't remember exactly what we did, but I remember we were up and he's like, hey, do you want to work on a TV show tomorrow? 
And I was Did like, you have within twenty four hours. Yeah, and I was like, wow. Um, yeah, I guess he goes. It pays like it pays like a hundred bucks. I'm like, oh, dude, Paint, I'm, plane ticket paid for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, he goes, I'm working as a stand-in on the show, and we, you know, tomorrow we're shooting this party scene, and it was this show called Dreams. Okay. And the show was John Stamos, <laughs> Jamie Gertz. Oh my gosh. Um, there was all these people you don't, nobody else would know of anymore, but those two people you would know. Yeah. And like Ron Karabatsis, who was in like a flash dance and, and some other shit. And, um, and so I, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that sounds great. He goes, no, we got to get up at, the call time is at seven. So we got to get up at like 545 and you got to shout, you know, you got to be, you know, you're in, you got to dress for like you're at a party Yeah. and we're shooting out in all the way in, in. I, I can't remember what it's Woodland Hills, but it was the Karate Kid High School. No way! Yeah, it was where they shot Karate Kid. Oh my God, Court, you're the coolest. Yeah. Guy. So they had, so they, but they had, they had rented out this high school. They were shooting a series there, so they like had the whole sound stage set up. They just took over the high school. That was like their studio. So cool. So they had like four different sets there. You know, they had a, a because at the end of every show they did a music video. Um, this was, you know, this was 1984. This was like you know mtv and you know all this stuff so it was i mean it was a big deal like yeah. the music video at the end of the thing was a, was like this big deal and you know it was john stamos's first show after general hospital or whatever it was he was on so it was like it was it was just this big deal and when you uh, say music video what exactly do you mean for the show for the show like so, it, like, the like cast it, members were in a band or something? Yes, the cast members were in a band. Oh, that's so 80s and awesome. Yeah, the cast... Suleiman, I hope you're listening to this. Yeah, so the, the cast members were all in a band, and at the end, you know, they all worked in a bar, and at the end, they would make this music video that taught... <laughs> Wait, at the end of every episode? Yeah, yeah. Oh. That, that always taught you a lesson. You know? oh <laughs> I didn't think it could get more 80s, and then you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah. What was little, the name of the show again? Dreams. Oh, that's so And awesome. it was, like, John Peters, who was Barbara Streisand's husband at the time, and uh, Peter or no Peter Goober was, was. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, John Peters, Peter Goober were the executive producers. It was like Bill Bixby was one of the directors. I love Bill Bixby. Yeah, it was like really cool. But it was 1984, and it was like it was a different time in Hollywood. Everybody partied. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. So I was like, sure, I'll do the show. I'll go to work with you tomorrow. And so. We get in his Datsun B210, which is this old beater car, and we drive over. My first, I mean, I'm in California. I'm driving over Laurel Canyon for the, first, know, for the first time in the morning. Amazing. Hungover. When I say hungover, imagine your worst hangover Ugh. and triple it. Oh, it I don't was miss so those. disgusting. I don't miss that. And at it's all. July. And it's in Woodland Hills. Blazing. And it's 105 degrees. And I've got on this 80s suit, this party outfit. And I don't know what being an extra is. Yeah. You know, I don't realize that you're basically treated like a piece of meat. Yeah. And there's no, they don't give a flying crap about you. You know, it's just, it's just terrible. Yeah. And so we get out to Woodland Hills and he's like, okay, check in. And I was like, okay. And he goes, I'm going to be in, you know, I'm, you know, he's in the sound stage. And he goes, I'll be in here. And he goes, just chill out out here, you know, whatever. And uh, and he goes, and I'll let you know, you know, what's going on. So I check in. And basically, we're all sitting underneath, like, there's no indoor place for the extras. It's like the extras kind of sit out 
not in the sun, but you're shaded, but it's still 105 degrees. Yeah. And it's, it wasn't bad in the morning. It wasn't as bad in the morning. But I was hungover, and there's no food, and there's no, they don't, like, feed you or anything. No water. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there's, like, water. There's okay. water. So I'm drinking water. I'm doing it's everything I can do not to Try, throw up. Yeah. I'm just, I, everything I can do not to throw up. And, um, and so I'm sitting there, and finally they call us in to do the first, like, party scene. And this is, like, 930. So we've been there, like, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And I'm literally cursing Larry under my breath. Like, I'm so, it's so nice to be with this guy there, you know, that, you know, we hung out. We bonded that night. We stayed up till like, 1.30 or 2. But, I mean, I could tell he knew he had to go to work, so he wasn't really still partying. I was still partying. And, yeah. and um, so, I mean, I didn't fall asleep till like, 4. Oh, <laughs> So it was not pretty. And so then we, we go inside, and now we're inside this soundstage. We're in the bar, the, you know, the bar part of the soundstage. Mm -hmm. And it's like they've got these great big air conditioners, you know, those big yellow, like, hoses that he Oh, like, yeah, that you, like, would see in music videos and yeah, stuff. Like yeah. the industrial size. Yeah, it almost looks like it should be attached to an airplane kind yes, of. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so I'm like, oh, my God, and I'm just standing in front of this. I'm just like, oh, I feel so good. And I just, that's what I needed. You know, it just needed to be cooled off. And um, I'm sit standing there, and then we do the scene, and I'm, like, kind of in the scene. It's like, you know, standing at a bar, talking to a girl, you know, whatever it was. And then it's, they, they, it takes about 45 minutes to shoot the scene. We shoot this scene. It's like John Stamos. I'm like, oh, wow, you know. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I used to have really long hair. So I had hair that, Perfect. like, went down, like, like real long. If you have any pictures of that, please send me one, and I'll tweet it out with this I'll episode. See if I, I'll see if I can find please. one. But they're like, uh, it was goofy. Um, <laughs> So I'm standing there, and so we get done shooting the thing, and I go, and I was like, and I see like that big, that big yellow hose that all the cool air is coming out of. <laughs> so I find a chair, and I just sit the chair right in front of the the hose. I'm like, oh Thank my god, god, this Thank feels so god. good. Thank you. This god. looks like that old Maxell tape commercial <laughs> where I'm sitting there, and like the wind's like blowing my hair back, and I'm just like, ah. Uh. And and Larry's a stand-in, so the stand-ins are there. I mean, they're, like, working. Mm -hmm. So he's still in there, and then someone comes over, and they're like, and they tap me on the show. They go, hey, John. And I was like, John. And I go, I'm Court. And they go, oh, sorry. I thought you were John. They and thought you were Stamos? They thought I was Stamos. Tremendous. And I've I, never in the history of my life, nor will well, I from ever the be back. mistaken from any but, angle. But, from, ever but from the back, I had really long, dark hair. Gotcha. And it looked, I mean, from the back, you could, I was sitting in a chair. You didn't, yeah. they didn't know. So they're like, uh, hey, John. And I was like, oh. And um, and so then I was like, he's like, oh. I go, no. And then he goes, oh. And he, they go, okay. And then the, one of the as the production assistant or assistant directors come over and they go, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, you, you can't be in here. And I go, what do you mean I can't be in here? And they go, um, the extras, you guys need to be outside. <sighs> and I was like, oh, man. I go, I go, this isn't for me. And I go over to, I find Larry, and I go, Larry, fuck this, man. I go, I go I'm out of here. Give me the keys. I'm going to go home. Yeah. He goes, you can't leave. He goes, they're going to shoot this scene again. You were already in the first one. He goes, you have to be in this. Uh -huh. He goes, you can't leave. And I was like, I didn't understand the etiquette or stuff. Yeah. I'm like, or the hunger of people that wanted to be extras. Yeah. Because I just wanted the 100 bucks. Yeah, yeah you know what, man? I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. It's like I'm not going to sit outside and throw up the rest of the day <laughs> for, uh, you know, and be treated like a peon, yeah. you know, because I didn't understand the, you know, the way it worked, you know, yeah. and for whatever reason, you know, people put up with that and I just wasn't in a position to put up with that. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it's pride or just, 
I don't being think hung over or just, sick. Yeah, or, yeah, just being yeah, whatever it was. And so Larry's like, just just chill out. Just go sit over there and you know, and I'll tell the A D to to leave you alone for a minute. And uh Way to go, Larry, sticking up for Oh yeah. Buddy. And uh so I kinda went but I kinda had to hide. I couldn't sit in front of the hose anymore. I kinda yeah. had to hide back in the thing. But it was still way cooler inside, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was way cooler inside, but I was getting ready to get kicked out again. And okay. they were getting ready to kick me out. Then the director of photography, the deep the guy who shoots the show, the guy who's the camera guy, the main yeah. camera guy, uh comes over and he goes, John, and I was like, No. And he goes, Oh my God. He goes, Dude, you are f from the back. He goes, he goes, Listen, I got an idea. He goes, I need a guy to photo double for Stamos. He goes, we do all these music videos, and we and he's really expensive. This was John was the star of the show. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. And he goes, I need someone to, like, we shoot him from the back, and he goes, I could use you. And like, you know, I could really use somebody because we shoot these long shots. We could release John and I could shoot some of this stuff. Wow. And, and it was like, and he goes, this would really be really cool. And he goes, and I kind of really need a good stand in for him and blah, blah, blah. And I go, dude, I'm going to be here for 10 days. He goes, Ugh. he goes, I need to get someone for 10 weeks. And I go, oh, and he goes, the job's yours if you want it. Oh my gosh! And Your was, first day in Hollywood. First day, and he go and I go. Well, can I can I do it today and think about it? And he goes, Yeah. I go. Do I get to stay inside? He's like, Yeah. And he goes, Yeah. So it was like, all of a sudden, I got pushed up to a stand-in, which in a weird way kind of pissed my buddy off because my buddy had been here a few years. Sure, that's like an open micer. Yeah, bringing his buddy to the comedy store and he gets made a paid regular right away. It's like, ah, oh, dude, what the? Yeah, do you know exactly. how long it took me to get this? Exactly. And and I, but I did. But what do you say? You don't say no. Mm -mm. So I went home that night with Larry, and I and Larry was Larry was God bless him, one of the sweetest guys in the world, still to this day, one of the sweetest guys in the world. And he actually goes, you know what, dude? He goes, this is not you can't turn down this opportunity. Yeah. And so I took the job. I moved to Hollywood. And I worked on this show. We worked another like five weeks, and then we had a hiatus, a week off. I went back to Oklahoma, packed up my stuff, and moved out here. That is awesome. Yeah, and um, and moved out here, and um, I worked on that show. And then right after that, the second AD, and I was one of these guys, and I talked about this with somebody the other day. I was one of these guys that really wanted to learn. Yeah. So I immediately got into, because I was in film and television at the time in college. Okay, good. I was going to ask you all that stuff. Yeah, I had done theater when I was a kid. You know, okay. so I had done all, you know, I, I knew, I mean, I was kind of like, it's kind of what I wanted to do, but believe it or not, I just didn't really know what it was. I don't, I mean, you're 20. I don't think you really know the, the past. Oh, no, not at all. You know, but the, uh, desire has, like, I think there's so many people listening to this that are like, Hey, I would love to live in LA or I'd love to get involved in Hollywood. I think that's like a very. Yeah, I don't think I really wanted to be involved in Hollywood. I don't okay. think I don't necessarily that I was like that was my dream to be in Hollywood. Okay, but I kind of had that that I wanted to do something. You know, I wanted to do something like that. I just didn't know I was a DJ. And I yes. didn't know if that's what it was. I didn't know if that's kind of what it was, but I didn't really know. You know, and uh, yeah, I I totally relate to that. Where you're like, I don't know how this is going to shake out, but it makes me think of uh, that line from Mr. Saturday Night, the great Billy Crystal movie about the comic. Yeah, where his brother goes, he just always needed that extra hug. Yeah, and I think we all kind of have that. Like, yeah, you're like, I don't know how, I don't know if I just need to do something special, or 
I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't know what it was. Yeah, and, I can and, really. And at one know. point, I mean, I really kind of wanted to do stand-up comedy, but I didn't. But at the time, I didn't. Even then, yeah, even then, I just. Didn't. I just think it's ironic that you were a block away from the Laugh Factory. You know, a yeah. half mile, a quarter mile away from the comedy store. Yeah, and I used to see it there all. I used to see the guys lined up on Tuesday mornings all the time. Wow. Even later on, I mean, later on, I lived across the street from that place. Wow. Um, I lived two two doors up from the Laugh Factory. Um, and I lived there for seven years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, and used to watch the guys out there on Tuesday mornings and just thought they were feeding homeless people. I didn't know what it was. Well, they were, in a yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah, yeah. Feeding them with stage time. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I did that show. Um, I did that show, and I worked for this great guy. I can't remember his last name. Larry was his first name. Another Larry? Uh, Larry was the assistant director. was the AD. Proving and my point. Larry was such a good dude. And then when we then that show got canceled. Mm-hmm. So they they aired it, and it was on CBS, and nobody liked it. Yeah. It, it was it was a terrible show, and um, I mean, Stamos would later get Full House. So I mean, obviously that changed. That was a game changer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like three years later he got Full House. Three or four years later wow. he did Full House. But there was, um, but so I ended up, um, so I ended up like got into an acting class and was like stud, you know, like trying to do all this stuff. And I was working for like I was doing like delivery service. I was a go-between driver. What's and, a go-between driver? Well, go-between. Um, and this is a little history for your listeners. Back in LA, mm-hmm. back before fax machines and emails and mm-hmm. you know the internet and all this stuff, there used to in order for people to get movies, in order for submit and stuff like that, um, snail mail really wasn't. You know, you couldn't do like regular mail because it would take too long for somebody to submit for a role in a movie. Okay, so you mean like their headshots? And yeah, their headshots that. and resumes. So what used to happen was there was a thing called the breakdown services. Mm-hmm. And the breakdown services was this thing where all the casting directors in town. Now, granted at the time, this was before 50,000 internet channels and, yes. and TNT did original programming and yeah, everybody much simpler time, much simpler time. There was ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. Okay. okay. There, those were your four networks and they did network shows and Fox was brand new at the and time. Fox really didn't do very many network shows. No. They didn't, they didn't and married with children. Yeah. You know, they had a couple of things. And so you had these other networks that didn't do reality TV. They did regular TV. Mm-hmm. And so they would cast shows. And then you had movies and you had Paramount, Universal, 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers. You know, those were the, you know, Sony. Those were the studios, mm-hmm. you know, and you had little studios, you know, like uh, whatever they were, um, Lionsgate or, you know, whatever. Okay. Um, it was really before a lot of independent movies were made. There were some that were made, but they were never big. They weren't a big deal. Okay. And, um, and so what would happen was each studio or each casting director would release what's called the breakdown services. And so it would be a breakdown of all the characters they were casting. Cool. So all so for Matlock, we're casting. These are the roles we need this week for Mas- Matlock. These are the roles we need this week for you know uh, this show or you know Golden Girls or whatever mm-hmm. whatever the shows were. So what I would do is I would del- I would those would those were very secret. So those were very big deal. So those would go to the agents. So the agents would get a breakdown every day. Okay. So that would come out early in the morning. 
So when that was delivered to them, the breakdown was delivered to them early in the morning by the go-between guys. So we were driving around in cars with with CB radios. No way. That's awesome. Yes, we had CB radios. And the guy that ran it was a guy named Fuad. And he was the meanest man ever. Yeah. Go, Kot. Go to go to pick off office and pick up now. You know. Oh, he would say that on the oh, CD. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just like seventy two hundred sunset. Go now. Don't talk back. Go. You know. What? Where and was you, he from? I don't know, but he was mean and he was <laughs> ugly, and you just did what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you made good money. You know. And so um, I'm smelling TV yeah. show here, man. Yeah. And so you would just do that. That's what you did. So you would do this like you would do the breakdowns. And um, and what ended up happening was is also you would so you would go then you would go to the agent's office. So you had a you had a route that you did. So my route was like the like Doheny. There was like seven agencies on Sunset. Wow. Right there below, like from Doheny West. I mean, like literally, just so many agents. Wow, right there west of Doheny. Yeah, the nine thousand building on like Sunset. right until you get into Beverly Hills. Yeah, there was like you know there were agents' offices and all this stuff. Is that how you got your agent? Yeah, I'll tell you that okay, story. Cool. So, so what used to do is is you would go and I would pick up the submissions. So they would they would get the breakdown in the morning. Then I would go by at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and I would pick up all their submissions. From the agency. From the agency gotcha. that would go to the casting directors. And so what I would do is I would take those and I would take those to the office. And they would get broke. They would There was somebody in the office. They would spread them out. So it would be Paramount, Universal, this casting director, this casting director, this casting director. And so then you would you had your pickup. So your casting. So you would have like four casting directors. And you would pick up the boxes. You'd go take them and load them in your car. And then you would go deliver to these casting directors Mm -hmm. you would deliver all the submissions for the day and then sometimes you'd have a special delivery like a you would be at paramount you'd and they'd go fool i'd be like go pick up for andy griffith you know and i remember i had to deliver a script to andy griffith once. get out of here yeah like uh like um i delivered once to um penny marshall and rob reiner when they lived together get out of here yeah so you knew like where a lot of the stars lived and you knew and what were you delivering to them like scripts scripts, yeah oh my god scripts or whatever it was yeah so that was my job. You, this could be a TV show. Yeah, we should talk. We'll talk later about this. And so you would deliver all these different things. And um, so what I would do is I was young and I was trying to get in Hollywood. And so what I would do is I had my headshots, you know, which were just so cheesy, man. I, please tell uh, me you still have some. I, I think I do, but I the mean, world. they are so cheesy. I mean, oh, my God, 1984. I mean, like, just so cheesy. Yeah. And I mean, I was studying acting. I was an actor. You know, know it's cool, though. It sounds like that it um, like not to get too serious. Yeah. But it sounds like you were this kid in Oklahoma that was going through some shit that you hadn't dealt with yet. So you were partying a lot. Yeah. But then through divine intervention or whatever, serendipity, you take a one way flight to L.A. Within 24 hours, you're working. Yeah. And now you have this uh, because of that job. Because of the change in environment, you have a new purpose. Absolutely, and and I wasn't. Um, I I mean, I literally was a better. I was a better person for a while. I mean, let's yeah. let's be honest, you know. Um, and then and so what happened was I would deliver. I, I started taking my headshots, and when I would deliver to these agents, the smaller agents, yeah, you know, I would stick my headshot in. You know, I stick my headshot and resume in. You know, for submissions because they would get submissions, yeah, from different stuff. 
and I would stick it in all the time. And, uh, and I remember I would like, I remember once I almost got fired because Cagney and Lacey was a show at the time. Tremendous. And, and I used to, and, and sometimes you would take the submissions for a Cagney and Lacey and you would just drop them in the inbox, the submission. Cause you would go in, it was a daily, like they, they would get three or four deliveries a day for Cagney and Lacey. Gotcha. And the assistant would go through the headshots. Be like, oh, here's you know, a face we haven't seen. Or yeah. I like this guy. Yeah. Or they would, oh, we know this person or, yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. And they would set up the, you know, they would call the agent, set up the reading. That's how it worked. Okay. So, but I would constantly put my stuff in for some of these things. And I remember once I was at Cagney and Lacey and I dropped off again. You know, I put another headshot in Cagney and Lacey. Yeah. And I remember Fuad, he goes, Court, you idiot. He goes, Stop putting headshot in for Cagney and Lacey. They're casting pregnant woman. Why you put your <laughs> shot in for pregnant woman? You are an idiot. You know? <laughs> and I almost got fired for that because we but weren't. He- he but didn't fire you. He didn't fire me. That's he didn't cool, fire man. me. Um, because he liked me because I, I literally was like, I hustled, yeah. you know. And um, But I ended up doing that one, did that job for a while. And I was, and there was an agent on Sunset um, right across from Gil Turner's. Uh, she had this little office, a really cool little office over there. Her name was Yvette Bickoff, and she was crazier than a shithouse rat mm-hmm. i mean this one was insane and yelling you know yeah she was yell and she was she was just crazy mm-hmm. but um she was very cool and one day i walked in she goes where do i know you from and i was like oh she goes oh i know from these 50 headshots you've left and she had this whole stack of my headshots that's hysterical she goes please she goes she goes you're so sweet she goes i understand she goes but I mean, you're not in SAG. She goes, I really, I only represent SAG actors. She goes, you know, I, you know, she goes, I appreciate it. You know, she goes, but you know, you're not in SAG. She goes, if you ever get in SAG, let me know. Okay. You know, and that was back when Screen Actors Guild, that was union. Everything was union. Mm-hmm. There was no non-union. Yeah. There was no non-union. I mean, they just didn't do non-union work. Not in California, not wow. in LA. I mean, there was no reality shows, so there was nobody. Do you think that's what kind of ruined the? It ruined it. It yeah. absolutely ruined it. It's like, especially for writers. I mean, I think more so than anybody else. Oh, yeah. I think it killed I writers. I never even thought about that. I think it killed writers because, because I mean, it's I, all I, written. Yeah, I know your listeners know that. Yeah, they're, they're, all these shows, they're, they're written. There's, there's, they're, all these shows are scripted at, at, at some level. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, there's, there's something that's, they're plotted, <sighs> if nothing else. Yeah, or they figure out the story in post, meaning. Yeah. They look at all the footage and go, what story are we going to tell with an editor? Well, I, I think it's even goes deeper. I think they're oh, really, sure. they're, I mean, like the Hills, oh, they are. like the Hill show was scripted the whole, I mean, yeah. they, they, they plotted every, I mean, someone's writing out these plots, yes. someone's storyboarding these, these, yes. these, the way these shows go. So that's a writer. Yeah. Someone that's doing that is writing it. So, um, so they, so that, that was kind of the situation and, um, and it was just, it was, I don't know, it was a golden age of Hollywood. It really was. There was a, it was a great time in Hollywood. Well, did Yvette ever want, did she wind up becoming your agent? Yeah. Did you wind up getting SAG? Yeah. So, How? well, I, what happened was, is I, after I did the, after I did the show Dreams, mm-hmm. the second AD was this guy named Larry mm-hmm. and Larry was so cool. And when you're an extra or you're a stand-in, you're basically you're basically the ward of the second AD. The second okay. assistant director basically runs the extras and the stand-ins and stuff. Okay. And if if your listeners don't know what a stand-in is, I'm going to explain it. It's really easy. Um, whenever they're shooting a show, a TV show or a film or something like that, each scene is different. So 
what they'll do is is they'll have the director will come in with all the actors, mm-hmm. you know, like Michael J. Fox and all these guys or whoever it is. And they'll come in and they'll go, okay, this is the scene where, uh, you know, like in Teen Wolf. I'll give you a good example. This is the scene in Teen Wolf where Michael is going to stand at the, at the free throw line. He's going to make one free, he's going to miss one free throw. And then he's going to make the second one. It's going to bounce up and down. And then I need, and so they rehearse it because they need to know where everybody's going to be so they can put cameras in certain places. Gotcha. So they need to what's called block the scene. So they'll block the scene with the real actors. Mm-hmm. So the real actors will block it, and they'll rehearse it a couple of times, mm-hmm. you know, real light rehearsal, you know, and they'll rehearse that. And then what they'll do, okay, second team. And then that's when the stand-ins come in because sometimes it can take an hour to two hours to light a scene. Wow. Because they got to put the camera in a certain place. Then now they got to figure out how to light that because you, you can't just put a camera down and then just shoot. Mm-hmm. Because you won't be able to see it. You won't, it'll be yeah. dark, and they've got to light it. And they've got Lighting's to, everything. Huh? Lighting's everything. And so they've got to light it. So they put the stand-ins in. The stand-ins mimic what the main actors are doing. Gotcha. So they, so they're, and they're called, that's why they get them the, the same size, the kind of the same look, so they can kind of get an idea of what it's going to look like. Awesome. And then they and then you rehearse what they're doing to make sure that a oh we don't see this when we're shooting it. Yeah. Oh this doesn't come in the scene when he moves over here. And there's marks down and you've got to learn so work. much work. There's so much work. And that's what an actor, you know, which was great as a stand-in, you learn that you don't just walk into a scene and just do whatever you want. Yeah. De Niro, all these guys, they hit their mark. You know, they they go from this thing to that thing. They know that when they sit down in a chair, you don't go like this. You sit down straight up and down so the camera can watch you sit, watch you sit down. The camera doesn't have to leave you because you don't go out of frame. And, and all, there's lots of things that are involved in it. And so I was learning all that as a stand-in, which was really, really cool. And, um, and so... Um, the second AD thought I was really, really liked me and, and Larry, my other friend, Larry. And so he called us one day and he goes, Hey, I'm doing this movie and I need two guys to work. He goes, I need two guys on this basketball team. And he goes, and I need him to be there. He goes, you guys are going to be in the whole thing. He goes, but I really need two guys that'll listen to me that I can count on Yes, because it's basketball. And I know you guys, you know, we used to shoot hoops out at the show on dreams. And he goes, I know you guys play basketball. He goes, you don't got to be great. He goes, but I just need two young guys that I can trust that'll that'll work you know that, that'll listen to so me. he's helping you but you're also helping him yes i think that's a great metaphor for yeah. life yeah and so he goes uh he goes yeah and we're like oh we'd love to and he goes all right uh work starts next week we're in torrance at this uh gym and he goes uh block out like three weeks he goes block out like you're gonna work for like three weeks and i was like oh cool and we worked through an agency but the but you know, it was like there's a lot of people they could have gotten. It was yeah. actually central casting, believe it or wow. not. Wow. And so I ended up working on Teen Wolf. So Unbelievable. That was, that was Teen Wolf. And so, and we, and it was really great. And my friend Larry got his SAG card through from that. From Teen Wolf? From Teen did Wolf. Did you get yours on Teen Wolf? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. They they were going to, They. I'm actually uncredited in Teen Wolf. Wow. It's Court McCowan uncredited. I remember watching Teen Wolf and seeing you on the bench in the basketball scene. I remember I mean, 
I ne- was never on the bench. I played in every every. Dude, I remember seeing you in Teen Wolf. This was year. It's been a long time since I saw it, and I was like, I didn't know Court was in Teen Wolf. I I'm on. I'm in every basketball scene. I'm in like five other scenes in the movie too. But I'm in. I'm on the court for every every the entire thing that he's on the court. I'm on the. That court is what your. Do you have any specific memories, best memory, most fun story about being on that set? Because that's an iconic movie. I think one of the funnest things about being on that set was Michael J. Fox had not done Back to the Future. Whoa, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So he was just Family Ties at this point? Just Family Ties. And you got to remember, this was 1985. So Family Ties was still Meredith Baxter Burney's show. Yeah. She was the star of the show. Gotcha. So Family Ties was really originally about the two parents mm-hmm. and about raising their kids. Yes. And Michael J. Fox really wasn't Alex P. Keaton, the big... He wasn't... I he mean, wasn't he a was, star yet. I mean, he was a star of the show, mm-hmm. but he wasn't... He was not a movie star. And back then, TV stars were not movie stars. Yeah. Movie stars did not do TV. Two separate worlds. They were two completely separate worlds. Okay. It's like if you did TV, you were a TV actor. And if you did movies, you were you never did TV. Wow! It was like no one crossed that line. Okay. And um, and so I remember it was the first time he got a big check, like he got paid, like you know, got really. I'm sure he made money on Family Ties, but this was like you know, first like like bonus money. Yeah. And he bought a brand new 280ZX. Wow! You know, it was one of the first cars that had the radio on the steering wheel. Cool, like the volume control, and, and take me home tonight. Yeah, I just yeah. imagine him listening to Ed, Eddie Money pulling. Yeah, in. and we used to, and he's and he smoked back then. He was a big smoker. He's really? a chain I never smoker. Knew that. Yeah, he's a chain smoker, and and I smoked at the time too, and um, and we would when he it's like we would go out in the parking lot. He wanted everybody to see his new car. We we're his teammates on his team, so it was really cool. And we would drive around the parking lot of this this high school. You know, smoking cigarettes while he's changing the channels. That sounds like stuff high school kids would yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. And it was like he was just the nicest guy in the world. That makes just, me feel good. Just the nicest guy in the world. He was, I mean, he was he was really nice. That's so I cool. I mean, a really nice guy. I worked on Family Ties years later. No way. Yeah, I worked on an episode of Family Ties years later, and he completely not only just remembered me, but was like, I think he invited me to have dinner with him and his wife. Uh, at the, the night of the taping, I couldn't because I had, I was, something was going on. I couldn't, he's like, we're going to, we're going to go have dinner. And, and I was like, oh, I, I had to do some kind of blocking thing. So I couldn't do, wow. I, I couldn't do it, but he what was a cool real, dude. Oh dude. Yeah. Like I was after that show, after, after, uh, Teen Wolf and after working at go, I was working at go between again. I, I got another job, the DP from Dreams, a director of photography from, from Dreams. Larry again? No, this was a guy named Ron Brown. Oh, the first. Yeah, DP. Ron Brown, who okay. did like all of Coach. Wow, another yeah. great show. Yeah, he, he was like the DP on Coach the entire time. Wow. So what Ron Brown did was um, he called me up and he goes, I've got a new TV show I'm doing. I need a stand-in. I'm going to hire four stand-ins for the show. He goes, oh, will you, would you be one of the stand-ins? I was like, absolutely, because yeah. he really liked my work. For, yes. and, and this was George Burns Comedy Week. Wow. So this was every week was a different cast and a different director. And so cool. so it was like we'd have Paul Reiser, um, Paul Reiser and Jack Guilford one week. It'd be Elliot Gould and Telly Savalas the what? next week. You worked with all these people? Yeah. Um, 
Was uh, it a sitcom? Was it, it a, was a sitcom? Show? It was a sitcom, and it was in it was a, th- a thirty minute sitcom, and each week was a different story. So one week was like a story about a millionaire who wanted to wanted someone like he would pay a million dollars if someone could make him laugh. Gotcha. And it was executive producer were Carl Gottlieb who wrote Jaws. Wow. And Steve Martin. What? Yeah. And so Steve, they were the two executive producers. Did you ever get to meet Steve Martin? Oh, yeah, dude. Steve Martin directed his first show ever. And his wife at the time, Victoria Tennant, was in the first show. And so she was fantastic. And um, wow. so every week was a different cast. And like one cast was like, was John Landis was the director. Wow. Who directed Blues Brothers, Animal House. He know. always seemed like such a nice guy for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know when that was. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he was... Um, but it was John Landis, and then the cast was um, Don Rickles, Don Knotts, Fanny Flag, all in the same show. Yeah, I want to say, I can't remember. There was like there was all these cast. There was like it was crazy this cast, and one cast was like Elliot Gould and Telly Savalas, um, who were all. I mean, who was just, the coolest to work with out of all those names? Don Rickles was the coolest really? guy ever. Don Rickles, Don Rickles was the coolest guy ever, and and he used to. He was, he's, he's a practical joker, but he was like this guy who like knew everybody. He was the nicest man. I love Don Rickles. Don, he was just the nicest. Every comedian loves, everybody loves Don you Rickles, gotta love right? Don Rickles. He's a national yeah. treasure. And Don Rickles was, um, one time Don Rickles used to always call me the kid. He'd always go, kid, kid. And I was like 21 at yeah. the time. And, uh, and he, you know, I would stand in for different people and I happened to be his stand in for this, this thing. Awesome. But I mean, I would, you would trade off with different things, but it didn't really, this one didn't matter because they just had to have people that knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And Rickles would always hand me a strip a script. He popped me in the chest where he'd go time for the professionals kid. <laughs> Get out of the way. And he'd always do that to me. And, um, and so he would always make jokes at me and he, and he would always like do stuff, you know? And he like, one time he was like, um, I go, how do you know everybody? He knew everybody's name. Mm-hmm. You know, and he goes, oh, in case I get robbed, I want to know who to have arrested. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. And he used to do really crazy stuff. I mean, he would just do funny, funny stuff. And he was always just making, he was just kind of that guy that always made people laugh. And, you know, it was just like, he just needed a hug. You yeah. know, it was just another guy that needed a hug. Yeah. And so one, the second to the last night, I never forget this. Um, he was like, he was, he kind of, he kind of would chew me out, you know, but in a fun loving way, but just, you know, and I would laugh, I would really laugh and he meant it in a really loving way. Yeah, he was yeah, never yeah. mean, Yes, but he would do it to embarrass, you know, he would do it out. He's outla- Don Rickles. He's Don man. Rickles. Yeah. So we had like, we used to have like the prop guy had these like magazines on the set and they were basically their penthouse magazines that had national geographic covers on them. Tremendous. So I like to open the, he popped the script and, and he goes, move it, kid. The professionals need to get in here. And, um, and so I took like these, these pictures in penthouse that are just awful pictures with women with their legs. Yeah. yeah like very a, adult, content. very, very adult content. And I signed them all like with that thing to Don, like love, does this look familiar? And all these things. And I took all these pictures out and I put them in his script. You know, I just did. No Yeah. Way. Just cause I thought he'd get a, I thought he'd get a laugh out. Yeah. Of this me. is you taking a shot back. Like, yeah, Hey, dude, let's yeah, have some yeah. laughs. And, um, and I put him in a script and then, and then he left, you know, like he, like that was the, that was the so last the joke thing. doesn't pay off. You're like, so yeah, the joke wanna, doesn't, yeah, joke doesn't pay off. I wanted Don Rickles to know I could have yeah. laughs too. 
And uh, the next day, the next morning, I'm in there, and he's like, where's the kid? Where is the kid? <laughs> and he comes up, and he goes, just so you know, my wife helps me memorize my lines at night when I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, and he just looks at me like real serious, and he goes, you got me, kid. You got me. <laughs> oh, my God. So evidently, God. they had read the things, and she, like, she knew it wasn't, yeah. you know, she knew, but... But he was like, he, he goes, they really had a good laugh. He must have loved it. He, he, he had a really good laugh. But that's, I, I got Don Rickles. So that was fun. Oh, my goodness. But that's how I got my SAG card. It was from that show? From, from that, George show, Burns that show? That show got me. What a, was George Burns like? George Burns, George Burns was very old. And mm-hmm. what they would do is they would shoot. We did like 14, uh, 13 or 14 episodes. And um, he would, like, at the very, like, at the very end, we would shoot, uh, he would stand in front of a green screen and he would introduce the show. God. So yeah. he would read off a teleprompter. He was very old at the time. Um, I mean, he still walked around and he would yeah. come out, he would come out of a, a trailer, a big motor home yeah. and he'd walk out with like seven like show girls, you know, it was like, it was a big, you know, yeah. it was still George Burns. Um, but there was a guy who would like walk behind him with the chair cause he would take like eight steps and then want to sit down. Oh, how old was he at the time in his eighties? Uh, yeah. He was in his, I mean, he still was spry. I mean, yeah. he, you know, I mean, he could still work. I mean, you know, he still talked and the you, best thing about being a comedian. Yeah. But he was, but he was pretty old. I mean, yeah. I mean, you didn't really get to sit and talk to him too much. I got to ask him one question about like, he smoked really cheap cigars and I was like, why do you smoke really, like, I would think you'd smoke Cuban cigars. He goes, dude, he goes, at my age, I just need something that stays lit. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, the cheap ones, you just light them and they just burn. He goes, the good ones, you got to keep puffing you gotta on You got to work on them. You got to work on them. He goes, I don't got the lungs to work on them anymore. But wow. he was really nice, but it, I didn't really get to spend very much time around him. I mean, very limited. That's so cool. um, But he would come and shoot all of his shows in front of him. You know, one, like half a day, he would shoot the whole knock season. Knock it all out. You'd knock it all out. That was it. Um, but how I, did you get your SAG card? Well, I got my SAG card because I, I was like, like I said, I really worked. I, I like paid attention to what was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were doing this show. And um, it was like one of the second to the last episodes or whatever this series we're doing. And and every now and then someone would get their SAG card. And it was in order to get your SAG card back then, you had to be in a SAG show. Mm -hmm. So you had to have a line in a SAG show. And it it was like, but anything that was like, it it had to, it was under five lines. It was a big, it was a big like catch 22. You couldn't get in SAG. You couldn't do a SAG show unless you had a SAG card. But you couldn't be in a, you couldn't, you know, it was just like this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that's how they get you, yeah. Yeah, and so there was this thing called Taft-Hartley, and it's a it's a term they use for when someone, when they need someone to deliver a line on a show and there's not time to cast it. And gotcha. so they would give an extra or somebody a line in the show. Was that used as a, they knew that that was the ultimate reward for hard work? Yes, Did they ab- knew? Okay. absolutely. So, so that's the way into the union. Yeah. And so what they did was, is I came to work one morning and I was working on a show and it was with Martin Mull and uh, the director was this guy, Phil Alden Robinson, who wrote and directed Field of Dreams. Wow. And, you know, big, big time director. And, um, and Phil was fairly new before Field of Dreams. And I was, I was standing on the, I, I came to work in the morning and they go, oh, dude, you're not, uh, you're not in the, you're not on this 
today. And I go, what? And they go, yeah. They go, and they, and I was like, I thought I got fired. Yeah. I thought something happened. You never know yeah, in that yeah, business yeah. what's going on. And they go, oh, you're over here today. And I, oh, they transferred me over. And I walked out. They had a, they had a trailer, and they fucking they they gave me a line. They were giving me a line that day. I didn't know it was a surprise. And they made this big deal. They made they had a script and everybody signed it. What? They had a director's chair, like with a piece of masking tape that had my name on it. Oh my god! And they like did this whole thing, like to get me because they were like, you know, you've worked really hard. We we really appreciate what you do, and we you know want to reward. That's one of the greatest stories yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah, they were really really cool, and uh, and even cooler was that I was like the la- They made up the line for me. So it's like, I mean, I the ultimate reward. Yeah. Like there was no reason there was a shot where Martin Mole's in jail and he opens this newspaper and sees this photo and they could have just shot the newspaper with the photo Yeah, and they could have just shot Martin, you know, he was in jail and they just show him like, you know, seeing the photo, but they had a line where I was like, here's your paper, Mr. Dolan, you know, something like that. Great. And, um, and so that was like my line and they made it up and that's why they, they, but they gave me a, they, I had my own trailer, you know, like at universal studios. Like my first thing was my own trailer outside the soundstage. Wow. And, um, what a great group of people. Yeah. And they were really cool. And, um, and they almost didn't get this sh- because when you run over, when they run these, you know, they do these scenes, we were doing these big elaborate shows. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you don't get to the shot and they were just going to have to insert the shot, you know? So it was like, and if you don't do the line, you don't get, you don't get, union. you don't get in the union. Wow. And they, and like some of these guys like work through their meal to like, you know, everybody like, came yeah, together yeah. to make sure that you got rewarded. That's really, awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. That's incredible. Yeah. And they and I got to and I was like the last shot of the night. They did it and everyone like, you know, like ah, yeah, you know. And then next day I came back to work stand in, which is what you did. Yes. And they were just they were really, 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 really cool. And um That's you know, so cool. And then I got my SAC card, went back to a vet and she signed me as a client. Oh my god, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's cool. What advice would you have for somebody that uh is trying to do the impossible. I, I just think that it's like, I think that anything you're doing, whether it's in this business or whatever you choose to do, if you, if you have a dream, I think you've got to follow it to some extent. And and I'm not going to say that you need to be, you know, because there's re- there's 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 a realistic side to everything, and yes. you don't want to be homeless. Right. You don't want to be. You need to do things, but I think that you can achieve, I think you can achieve your dream even if you do it in steps. Great advice. You know, I don't think it has to be, you know, I don't, I I always say, well, if you're going to do it, then just do it. It's like, that's really easy for you to say, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think part of it is if you're going to do something, um, don't ruin your life to do it. Mm. You know, in other words, don't, if, if you have a very if you have a very good job that pays a lot of money mm-hmm. and you're doing well, um, you know, I wouldn't say quit your job and pursue your dream. Maybe what you do is, is, is you change your life while you have that job for a period of time to save up enough money that you can take a couple of years and really pursue it the right way. Gotcha. And maybe you take this job and you do this type of job in another capacity in a lesser time-consuming way that you can pursue your dream so that you don't, you know. 
be smart about it. Make sure your bases are covered. And, and I know that. And I know that sounds kind of I think like that's great advice. I don't, I don't think it sounds. I, I don't mean to be. You have to be safe, 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 safe. But yeah, I hate to see someone like you know go from you know from this to nothing. Yes. You know because it's not easy. No. Yeah. I I I I agree with that. I really do. Like there are people where I've I've given them very similar advice where I'm like, hey man, it's going to take some time. Yeah, I mean, because I had a very successful. I was very. I did very well for five years, and nothing since. I mean, I've done. You know, I did Can't Buy Me Love. I did Teen Wolf. I did. I did movies. I did television. I did all this stuff. You know, I was making a good. I made a very good living for five years. You know, not yeah. ridiculous. Right. Not like you know today's standards of making great money. But yeah. I did. I did well. And, um, and then it all went away and, and it never came back, Interesting. you know, and that's, you know, I started doing stand up 13, 14 years ago, but, and I had a lot of success with that. And then that's kind of, you know, it's just, it, it comes and goes. Yes. So, so don't, you know, don't be, don't think that it has to only be one thing. You know, I kind of, I kind of think that, you know, I kind of go through the philosophy of, it's just going to be where it's going to be. It's going to take me where it's going to take me. I'm going to do what I do to survive, uh, but I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to live in a box, you know, to, you know, I'm not going to live like a, a beggar. All right. To, you know, cause that's the, you know, well, I don't think you can really do your best work. I try to tell this to people that are pr- pursuing something creative yeah. and it was really a lot of influence from my younger brother that pointed this out to me years ago. But if you don't have a roof over your head and if you don't have food in your stomach, it's very difficult to be at your best creatively. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't even mean and I don't even mean that you have to be, you know, you don't have to live high on the hog. You don't no. have to live anywhere in any of that sense. No. But I think you, you definitely need to feel like to not live in fear. Yes. You know, and fear is a big fear is a big thing. Yeah. And I think if you can you can get away from your fear. Then, you know, and and I think that always people I've seen that have had success are the people that don't care. Mm. I mean, they, they want it and they care about the success, but they're not desperate. Yeah. It. Yes. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's what a, that's a great point yeah. to end on. I yeah. can't thank you for Dude, coming on. I can't. Th- I love your podcast. Dude, this was awesome. This is one of the best episodes ever. I, I, I was lo- just so life affirming and honest and grounded. Where can people find you, and what's the name of the album again, and where can they buy it? Uh, they can buy the album on iTunes. Uh, the name of the album is Live from Pearl Street, Court McCown. They can go to courtmccown.com, C-O-R-T-M-C-C-O-W-N, and that's my Twitter, that's Facebook, that's Instagram, that's, that's all of the things, all the things I hate, but I have to be on. <laughs> awesome. But I love it, and I love you, buddy. You're the love best you too, dude in the Thank world. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is, okay, we'll do it. Okay, guys, that was my buddy, Court McCown. Please check out his new CD, Live from Pearl Street. It's up on iTunes for pre-order. I think it might actually come out tomorrow. Uh, Court's the best. Um, I I don't know how to get into this because I don't want anything... I don't want to be disrespectful to the guy I loved so much, and I don't know what to share, and I don't know what not to share. It just, Roddy, I'm, I'm so grateful to have known this guy, and I think 
I'm beyond blessed to have been able to call him a friend and grateful that I, I have a couple great podcasts to share with you guys and I'll always be able to go back and uh, hear those. Uh, one of the coolest things is that I realized today, Lee, that the first night I met Roddy ever was at the improv and they recorded all of that. That was all filmed that night. And then the last night I got to hang out with him was all recorded. So that's a pretty impressive gift I have. Um, he was just such a special guy. And I don't, I think the saddest thing is I don't know if he knew how great he was as a person. There was just something so good about him. And that's what I'm going to miss. And there's just so much I want to say. I can't say it. I feel, I feel almost, I hate to say this, buddies. I love you guys. But I almost feel if I open up too much, I'm doing my friend a disservice. I think some things are just sort of personal. Um, I was supposed to hang out with him on Friday. He was going to come visit my little buddy in the hospital. I've been spending a lot of time with the, I visit this sick little kidly and, uh, he had his wrestling doll. So I brought mine to play with him and it was the Roddy doll. <laughs> so I took a picture for Rod of his doll next to all this little kid's toys to let him know. Cause I think the saddest thing about Roddy, and you'll hear it in the fucking third episode of this show we did. I don't think he knew how great he was. And I think that's a problem. A lot of people have everybody battles that, that you're loved, that you're made for a purpose. All of us don't let the fucking devil ruin the joy of being alive. And that's why I did this podcast. That's why me and Roddy were friends. And to me, Absolute divine intervention that me and this dude became friends. And I will tell you this. Uh, we'll do uh, another Roddy episode at some point, hopefully with his kids. And we'll sit back and we'll celebrate the greatest dude I ha I've had the pleasure of calling a friend. Uh, I have too many memories. Things right now are a little too personal. Uh, I would just say keep his family in your prayers and – Pray to thank God that he's up in heaven in a better place. I love you so much, Hot Rod. Um, I think we should play the song. One of the first times I was ever out on the road with Roddy, he called me and he was called me to come down to his hotel room and he was listening to this song and told me why it meant so much to him. And uh, I'm just going to sit with the headphones on and listen to this. And then we got to play Scotland the Brave after this, Lee. All right, I love you guys. Thank you so much for uh, listening.
never seen a one-trick pony in fields so happy and free. If you've ever seen a one-trick pony, then you've seen me. Have you ever seen a one-legged dog making his way down the street? If you've ever seen a one-legged dog, then you've seen me. Then you've seen me. I come and stand at every door. And you've seen me. Than I had before And you've seen me But I can make you smile When the blood it hits the floor Tell me friend Can you ask for anything more Tell me can you ask for anything more Scarecrow filled with nothing but dust and weeds. If you ever seen that scarecrow, then you've seen me. If you ever seen a one-armed man punching at nothing but the breeze? If you ever seen a one-armed man, then you've seen me. Then you've seen me. I come and stand at every door. And you've seen me always leave with less than I had before. And you've seen me, but I can make you smile when the blood it hits the floor. Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything more? Tell me, can you ask for anything more? These things that have comforted me, I drive away. This place that is my home, I cannot stay. My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display. Have you ever seen a one-legged man trying to dance his way free? Have you ever seen a one-legged man? Then you've seen me. 